Hello, everybody. Welcome to it's another conversation with Jason and Justin. And today we are I, I can't wait to have this conversation because nobody likes TV more than me. At least I thought until I read Stu's bio. Stu, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Jason. How are you? I'm doing great, man. It couldn't be any better. And uh, CJ, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. I cannot wait to talk to you guys about your film and probably a whole bunch of other things. So uh, oh, what are you guys meet? <laughs> how'd you guys meet? How did we meet? Do you want to tell them or you want me to, CJ? Uh, I can set it up and then you can interject uh, as you wish. Um, we had a couple of screenings around L.A. for Perfect Bid, uh, our first documentary about a guy that uh, memorized a bunch of prizes on The Price is Right and, and went and messed with them. I watched uh, that a month ago. Really <laughs> oh, cool. Thank you. We just got back on Netflix. We're we're trending on Netflix somehow. Uh, it's a five-year-old film, but it's very exciting. <laughs> There's a whole new group of weirdos messaging us. It's fantastic. Um, so anyway, Stu showed up and, uh, you know, as you've, as you've met with Stu, he's like, he'll come up to you and, and, and start talking to you. And he, I was immediately drawn to him. Uh, and he invited me on his Stu show and, um, when you do the stew show, you show up uh, four hours early and have lunch at the deli with him, and he'll start to tell you stories. And, and as someone that got into show business to hear stories, there's no better person to tell them or to hear them from. So uh, pretty quickly, I saw uh, the next project that, that, that should be done, and, and that was my man to the bottom left here. That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, I was fascinated by Perfect Bid. Um, a little bit more backstory, just because it's a little more interesting. Uh, Roger Dobkowitz, the longtime showrunner of The Price is Right, called me and said, have you heard about this documentary coming out called Perfect Bid? And I had seen something about it in Variety, the Hollywood Reporter. And the basic blurb was, it's the story of a guy who yelled out the exact price of a showcase to somebody on the stage, and the guy guessed it right down to the dollar. And that's all it said. And I said, well, that's a 10-minute story. <laughs> and, and Roger said, no, 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 you, you need to see the backstory. Roger said, Bob Barker and I just appeared in this documentary, and the story will blow you away. Why don't you come to one of the screenings that the director is having in Hollywood? This was like, CJ, this was almost five years ago, wasn't it? It was a long yeah. time ago, because I yeah. hadn't started doing television shows at that point. I was still doing audio. Anyway, I went to the film reluctantly. And I watched this thing unfold, and I saw myself smiling through the whole 72 minutes and just rooting for this guy, Ted Slauson, the underdog. He was the guy that sat in the audience, because I don't know if you guys remember, when this whole thing blew up, and it was about a year or two after the Barker regime had left The Price is Right, right. So you had a staff and a host there that didn't know what the hell they were doing. And instead of celebrating this monu monumental event, they panicked. Now, I didn't know any of this until I saw CJ's film. And the reason they panicked was because this guy, Ted Slauson, who is a math teacher, memorized the prices of all of the prizes on The Price is Right for like 30 years. He was an Uber fan, kind of like I treat classic television. He treated The Price is Right that way. And he got himself up there as a contestant 20 or so years prior to this and won some money and some prizes. 
And the whole backstory on this guy, on how he learned how to do all this stuff and, 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 and go to the show and help all these people to win. It wasn't just this clown up on stage. It was everybody. And Ted never got any credit for this. And I guess CJ decided to do some research uh, based on an Esquire ma uh, magazine article that was done, found this guy, and just like with me, said, this is an incredible story. People should know this. And... He was right. I mean, it's captivating. So he's saying it's on Netflix now. Take the time and invest 72 minutes. It will be well-spent time. Anyway, he came over to my place to do my show because I wanted to help him promote the thing. I was just blown away by it, you know. Talk about somebody eating his words. So he's looking around and he's looking at all my stuff. And then he finds out the story of my wife and my uh, battles with the medical industry to get her well. And he said, this is my next film. And I said, yeah, right. I said, nobody knows who I am. No, nobody really cares. He said, no, no, no. The way I'm going to do it, if you like perfect bid, I'm going to kind of you do, do it the same way, just a little bit differently. And I said, okay, if we're going to do this film, the only requirement I have is that we get the word out that this film is for people who have to deal with the medical industry when a loved one has an emergency situation. I want them to learn that this is how you cut through the bureaucracy, through the red tape, through the crap to get your loved one well, okay? That's the only reason I, I did the film. I didn't do it to show off my friendship and relationship with Lucille Ball. I didn't do it to plug my show. I did it so that people can learn how to deal with the terrible medical industry we have in this country and, and emerge victoriously. Now, I do want to say that there are wonderful doctors and nurses and therapists out there. There are dedicated people in that profession, but you have to cut through the crap to get, get to them. And that's what I wanted to do with this film. And he, 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 he did it magnificently. I couldn't be more pleased with this film. You I'm know, done. CJ, when he said um, he saw the synopsis for Perfect Bid and thought it was like a 10-minute story, I thought the same thing. So that's like a testament to your yeah. filmmaking that I found the entire thing just absolutely riveting because I honestly didn't know what to expect. And you did a really good job with that story. This guy is a brilliant was... filmmaker. Don't kid yourself. He is, he is one of the best filmmakers with the patience of Job, by the way. What I put <laughs> through... To shoot this thing, well, like he'll tell you, he'll tell you. Ask him I mean, how hard you've been it is. doing it. Ask him, ask him how hard it is to edit me. He should win an Academy Award for editing that. <laughs> a lot of B roll. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys should yeah. do a riff tracks for a certain film that's on Hulu. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's very easy to interview Stu. Obviously, he's a host and and he knows what's important in a story and what isn't. But you know, it's just. He, he's he'll give you every part it's it's uh you know most documentaries is just talking heads so i, I get a whole talking it's amazing <laughs> it's <laughs> but to your point with perfect bid you know to it, half of youtube says that it should have been a 10 minute documentary but I, I think that's people that are looking at their phones while they're watching it because with <laughs> someone like ted everyone thinks the other guy got the perfect bid so you really have to establish your case for 35 minutes to show that this guy you know, because for 10 years, people have been attacked, literally attacking him. And I should have probably gone into that a bit more. But at the time, that didn't seem as important to me as getting his justice. But um, now, sure. that, to, to um, piggyback on that, I think I, I could have had more. Like, I thought you told that story very well. Thank you. Well, that was, that was part of the thing is I didn't know about fair use 
laws at the time. So uh, I, oh, I had what to he had to cut, what he had to cut, but it's yeah. still compelling. That's the great thing. Whatever he cut, it didn't hurt anything, but he did cut some wonderful things. Those, well, we were allowed to have any footage we wanted. And then once we got Roger Dobkowitz and Bob Barker involved, then Fremantle said, uh, you only have 10 minutes. And it's like, then I only had seven minutes and then I couldn't use the same shots over again. They started giving me all these rules to try to deter me, but my life savings was in it. So there was no me going away. And um, you know why they did it, guys? You know, this is this to show the temerity because they know they're on a sinking ship. This is my opinion, by the way. Do not blame. Do, the CJ may not share this opinion. I felt they did it because they didn't want to compete with themselves. Most of what cut were these wonderful moments between Bob Barker and, and Ted Slauson. And, and the show was so well produced, like a well-oiled machine. Roger Dobkowitz, one of the best executive game show producers in the business. That's what had to be cut. And I think Fremantle just got scared if CJ showed too much of the way it was in the past compared to the way it's being done now. They got cold feet. That's my opinion. Yeah, I was about to ask the same same thought, right? It, was there a certain section that you cut that you're like, man, I really wish I could have had that two, three, five minutes of film? Well, no, I mean, just standard documentary is you sort of have to do a trailer at the beginning of the movie to sure. make everybody care. Like with Stu, we show his big wedding at the beginning with all these fancy people. And, uh, you know, at the beginning, it would have been nice to show the perfect bid happen and then start to work backwards to get yeah. up to the perfect yeah. bid again. But when you can't, when you're being sort of extorted with uh, your life and, and not being able to use the same clip twice in a row. And, and, you know, it's, it was just sort of heartbreaking to, you know, the, the way Roger got fired, I wasn't allowed to go into. Mm. They cut that section. But I did on my way. show. So if you go into <laughs> yeah. my archives yeah. and pull up the first show I did with Roger Dobkowitz, you get the whole juicy, wonderful, excellent story. Definitely. And we're good. We've got a couple of things still in, in, that we're working on with this movie and, and uh, a couple actually really significant things that we're not allowed to say yet. Um, so the whole story is going to get out uh, many different ways. It's going to be very interesting to watch, but uh, anyway, that's that movie. That's how me and Stu met. So uh, 13 minutes in. He really had to twist my arm because I didn't, I wasn't sure I wanted the world to know uh, the medical side of our story. And I didn't mm -hmm. want to bash the medical industry. There were, I didn't want to bash the entire medical industry. It's the bureaucracy part that really sucks. It's dealing with the insurance company. And luckily I had an insurance rep after I made her cry a couple of times and scream and holler. She did a 180 and said, you know what? I'm going to do what I can for you. And she got the, the insurance company to do stuff they never would have done for anybody else. But that's because of me not being a shrinking violet. I think you can already assume that from the few minutes we've been together. But that's what you have to do in order to, to, uh, to win over the medical industry. There are wonderful people there. You just have to cut through all the toot to get to them. So that, that's the point. All right, before I get us off on a bunch of tangents about the people you've met along the way, Stu, tell us about Stu's show the film well i think cj should do that okay, okay. well and, and <laughs> Stu wasn't being modest before he tried to talk me out of the whole lucille ball section of the movie many times in, in the beginning um but uh it, you know it starts uh, we meet Stu and and sort of learn about how he uh, uh, shoehorned his way into show business any way possible. He wasn't going to give up, uh, you know, through giving out tickets to people on, on, you know, out here in Hollywood, which as Stu will probably tell you, uh, it's one of the worst things you would ever have to do. 
I, think I would Steve rather clean the toilets at Walmart after a 400-pound <laughs> woman on a scooter used it. Wow, that's scary, man. I've seen the people at Walmart. Right. Where do I take it from that quote? That's the movie. You just saw the movie. <laughs> it's about That's a it. woman who rides a scooter through Walmart and yeah. becomes friends with Lucille Ball. That's what it's right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, Stu. Stu uh, entered Lucille Ball's orbit, uh, justifiably so, with his knowledge and, and, and passion for TV. And uh, being a smart businesswoman as she was, she uh, grabbed him up and, and probably got him to do a whole bunch of expensive work for free. And uh, cleaning and her he toilets while she wrote her toilets. Scooter, yes. <laughs> There's a theme here going. Um, yeah. And, and obviously uh, it's sort of a two part story. And uh, for the most part, people have been involved and, and enjoy the ride. A couple of people, it's sort of been jarring for them the, the second half of the movie, but I've sort of feel like that's a badge of honor. It's like Stu, you're watching this movie. That's sort of a, a love letter to classic TV and you, and you like Stu. And then all of a sudden something happens and you pull the rug out and you know, that Stu didn't want this to happen to him. And the audience is going to have to sort of uh, live the experience the way it was experienced in real life. You're just sort of going along, enjoying something. And then it's, it's uh, ripped from you and, and, that's sort of been troubling for a few of our early uh, people that have seen the film, but it's honestly a badge of honor to me. Anyway, no, I, no, I think. You, no, go ahead and finish. No, I was just going to say, I think if people saw it a second time, it would it would sort of not be as much of a slap in the face as it might be. But uh. <laughs> we, we we didn't know what to expect when when we did this thing. He just wanted to tell the story, and uh, people are bringing up stuff that I'd never occurred to me. You know, Lu Lucille Ball was a tough a tough lady with a heart of gold. She was a warm motherly figure, but at in a work environment, it was business as usual. That's not to say that she wouldn't laugh if something was funny. Uh, but, you know, you basically are on a set where she's the star of the show and she's a pioneer of television. And whether you think it's right or wrong, you do what she says. And and a lot of people just aren't used to that. Me, knowing her five or six years before I went to work for her day to day on the set, it was like second nature to me. She, she wasn't any different on the set than she was to me as a person. But a lot of people couldn't handle that. A lot of people come on there as set and say, wow, I've never been on a set like this before. But again, you recognize the element and you 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 meld into that and just do what you're told and you're going to be fine. She was actually the director. The directors on her show, she would ask occasionally, should I do this or should I do that? But mainly, she did all the staging. She told the cameras, uh, the, the actors, which cameras to look at. She knew if a light was in the wrong place or a boom mic was casting a shadow. It was pretty remarkable watching her. So the thing is, as long as you understood that going in you know it was all professional and all great um but but the thing is now i've forgotten where i was i was off on a you said many tangents there's there's <laughs> one of them. i just feel i feel like anyone that worked with lucille ball that actually knew their job and gave a damn about it never had a problem with it you're exactly right okay now my point was now I remember where I was. Some of the reviewers have come away saying, Stu took what he learned watching Lucy and applied it to the medical industry. Well, I guess that's true. I never thought of that, but I guess that's true. And another reviewer who loved the film said, it's amazing how, and CJ kind of, kind of alludes to this in the trailer, how Stu's love for classic TV got classic TV to love him back. When we were fighting for Janine's life and her well-being, 
all of our circle of friends, and they became friends as a result of doing my show, rallied around us. They visited her in the hospital. They sent her cards. They really cared. Mm -hmm. And these are people that I grew up watching on TV, like like Ken Osmond on Leave it to Beaver and Stan Livingston on My Three Sons and, and Tony Dow and all of these people. They cared enough because they loved Janine so much to, to, and that's, I'm telling you, that's one of the reasons I think she recovered as well as she did because she could feel the love. Ed Asner, all of these people, Dick Van Dyke and his wife, Arlene, wonderful. Arlene took care of me while Janine was in the hospital. She wouldn't let me stay alone at in my house on Easter and Valentine's Day and Christmas. She insisted on cooking for me and going over to their house and making me meals. I mean, if you told me this when I was a kid, I would tell you you're of <laughs> psychological help. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Amazing. It really shows you who your friends are and who cares about you. And that's what CJ wanted to share with the world. I just wasn't sure whether the world would embrace it as well as they have. I mean, we're shooting this on the day the movie came out. And we're already, what, CJ, number 15 on, on the iTunes film yeah. list? Uh, we got an email a second ago. We're in top 10. So hey. top 10. Top yeah. 10 Jason Justin. Did you hear that? Jason, it's, Justin, it's incredible. Ten. That is awesome. Jason, I don't cool. think we've ever had a top 10. Uh, it's not it's because of CJ, because he's an excellent filmmaker. He gets all the credit for this. I don't get anything. Let's make that. I mean, it is your life, right? It would have been a pretty <laughs> empty frame. The one that took it in portrait. Yeah, right. How many people can say they had a movie made about their life? Me and Eddie Dukin. Right? But I'm saying it's all because of it's all because of CJ's talent. So that's that's where it lies, guys, and that's where it belongs, right there. Uh, CJ, what made you want to get into making films? It really is just the behind the scenes stuff. I think watching. I played hockey for the most majority of my life. And anytime I wasn't doing that, I was drawing or, or just watching movies. And, and anytime I heard a story about just something that happened in the seventies or eighties or, or just old sitcoms, I was just drawn to it in a certain way. And my hockey helmets, I was a goalie. So the helmet, they went from like hockey designs to like a Pulp Fiction thing on the back. <laughs> and then there was an X-Files design. So like my parents should have seen it coming. I was clearly, I was clearly showing signs of a transition and, uh, <laughs> Being five six, I wasn't going to make the NHL, so it was just a situation of you know, it, it, even at the best of things, as a professional athlete, you can do it till you're thirty five or or forty if you're insane. And filmmaking, you can do it until uh, they don't want you to anymore, right. or, you're, or you pass away. So it's like it's you're my right? age, yeah. yes. <laughs> and plus, with I mean, filmmaking, yeah. you just get to live in people's lives for two years at a time, and you get to be a a bricklayer if you make a documentary about that or a crazy guy from Chatsworth who knows everybody in the world. Um, yeah. You got to spend how many, how many days with Ed Asner, Mr. Wallace? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, uh, of all the things in this movie, I said it was important that Stu and, and Janine had their story put out there. But of course, like the last two years hang out with Ed Asner when you, watch Mary Tyler Moore and then you yeah, go to his house incredible. and he has a messy desk in his house and crap everywhere. And he's like, ah, and barking at you. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's, yeah uh, it's I learned nothing. to bark right back at him. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. And I miss him dearly. He was one of the closest friends we had. It was an honor and a privilege to know him just as it was Lucy. And just as, as it is to know Arlene and Dick Van Dyke. Um, we I gave him a little title card at the end. We, we, we dedicated the movie to him. Uh, oh, we've lost, we lost Jimmy Garrett too, since the movie. Yeah. 
McNaughton, one of yeah. my closest friends. He was Jerry Carmichael on Lucy's second series, mm. The Lucy Show. It it sucks. It sucks getting old. Ask my gray head of hair here. But, you know, time marches on. And for people like CJ, who I refer to as a young punk because he's a lot younger than me, I call anybody his age a young punk. But at least he's a young punk that wants to keep the torch lit and to keep this stuff going because my biggest fear is after people my age leave this planet the early days, the pioneering days of, of classic television, the days that we really need to pay attention to because that set the foundation for everything that followed. I Love Lucy begat Mary Tyler Moore and All in the Family and all of these other shows. If that's all forgotten, I, I shudder to think about it. Luckily, my daughter, who is 24, uh, is, is going to continue the torch. At least she says she will, but we'll We'll see. I've got CJ uh, in the background in, in line next in case she decides she doesn't I'll keep work. an eye on her for sure. Yeah, yeah. she's got to take care of those things. Yeah. Let's see. The, uh, the thing about that I think is nice about streaming is a lot of people are finding these shows through streaming sources. And I know there's a lot of hangups with like music rights for a lot of the old shows. And I hope they get that figured out soon. Because Greedy publishers. <laughs> it's called Greedy Publishers. That's what it boils down to. But just what Married with Children did. They changed the theme song so they could push the show out. Like Yep, and they did it with WKRP, and let's go back even further, to, which is ridiculous, to my three sons. Uh, all the music, background music and, and underscore is all different on that. I'm surprised they paid for the theme. I think if they didn't pay for the theme, the fans would have crucified them. It's it's <laughs> ridiculous. It just gets down to greed, greed is all it I is. I think the worst one was the Wonder Years, right? Because they have the Beatles mm. and they have the Doors. Oh, and yeah. all these He's a close second with all their yeah. music used yeah. to. Yeah. So. yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, we actually interviewed somebody from uh, uh, My Three Sons, Barry Levenstein. Mm-hmm. Barry's a close friend. He's a good guy. He's a very good guy. Yeah, he. It was hard finding the show. I had to watch it on YouTube. My three stream. Yeah, I couldn't find it on streaming. It's it's on MeTV over the air and and Friendly TV, which is a a streaming company, just um um got the rights from Weigel Broadcasting. They're the ones that have MeTV in decades. So if you subscribe to Friendly TV, you can get MeTV now streaming. Yeah, I really dug that show. It's about time because we moved up here to the boondocks last year uh, after uh, 64 years in Los Angeles and 35 years in Chatsworth. We said so long to L.A. We were sick and tired of it. And uh, the only thing we missed were those over the air digit networks. And they're all streaming now. So we get them on our Roku TVs. We're we're happy as can be. As long as I can get Mr. Ed streaming soon, I'll be very happy. Yeah, <laughs> this TV was the last ones to run them. I don't know what happened, but you, you know, guys, those are out on DVD. If you don't mind getting <laughs> off, if you don't mind getting off your duff and putting them into the DVD, hey, watch them out. I own two to three thousand DVDs, so I have no problem with that whatsoever. <laughs> I've been buying a lot of the old shows. Uh, Perry Mason's become one of my favorites. Oh God, those are like mini movies, aren't they? They are so well done. Yes, yeah, very so well. Oh. So, so Stu, how did you how did you first meet Lucy and how did that kind of all come about? It's an interesting and an ironic story. I was a Lucy fan from the time I was, you know, yeah. four or five years old. I discovered her at night on the Lucy show. Uh, one summer, 
1962 or 63 until they reran all of the pilots that Desilu produced that didn't sell to fill out the summer. They would have a handful of Lucy shows from that season that would run until about mid-July. And it was either 1962 or 1963. One of those years, it was 63. One of those years they had the Lucy show reruns with Jimmy Garrett and Ralph Hart and Candy Moore playing the kids and Vivian uh, all living in the house until about the second week of July on Monday nights and then on Wednesday nights uh, to either replace Perry Mason or Danny Kay, I forgot which, they brought the Lucy Desi comedy hour in. Mm -hmm. The 13 specials they did in the fifth, late 50s were now being run in the summer. So that's when I first discovered Lucille Ball. And somewhere in that mess, one of the local stations ran the long, long trailer movie that they did. So that was kind of neat. It wasn't in color because we didn't have a color set at the time, but it was made in color. So that's when I discovered Lucille Ball. So now we fast forward to 1979, and I'm in my last semester at Cal State Northridge, and they have hired Lucille Ball to teach a class in television aesthetics at Cal State Northridge, and they put this class in the largest auditorium there, which held 300 people. And they thought that enough TV majors, of which I was one, would be enough to fill the class. And they got, oh, three weeks away from the class. And it, for whatever reason, was only half full. And they didn't think that, you know, college kids, they don't do stuff right away. They're right. not organized. They wait till the last minute. So they panicked. And they opened it up to non-majors so that they would fill the class. Well, consequently, what you had in there were art majors and poli-sci majors and history majors and English majors who basically sat in that class the whole time like this because they didn't know what to ask. It was a Q&A for three hours each week. And if you didn't have an inkling of TV knowledge or history or anything about her career, you sat there like a bump on a log. Now, I almost didn't take the class. It was an elective. I needed the three units to graduate, but I was working, uh, as CJ said, giving out TV tickets to fill the shows in Hollywood. And one of the shows I was working on was One Day at a Time. Mm -hmm. And I got to know the cast there. It was very early on in the show's run. Uh, and the director was a guy named Herb Kenwith, who in the 40s directed some of her stage plays. And in the 70s, did a handful of Here's Lucy's. So one day I'm talking to somebody on the stage about now oh, they there's this class being taught by Lucille Ball and I'm going to take the class because she's my favorite. I've been watching her since I was a kid. And he got wind of this and pulled me aside and said, are you a big Lucy fan? And I said, major. And he said, then don't take the class. And I said, why not? He says, because she's not the person that you saw on TV. She's tough. She's rough. She's mean. She's bossy, she's pushy. She's nasty. And, and uh, your bubble will be burst. And I said, well, I know you directed the show. And he's, he was like, you know, banging his chest saying, I was the only director that could boss her around. Nobody else could boss her around but me. She'd get so angry at me sometimes. She'd burst into tears and run in her dressing room and then come back 10 minutes later and say I was right. Well, guys, let me tell you, after knowing her for 10 years, I knew he was full of uh, condensed mm -hmm. manure, shall we say, because nobody, nobody had that type of power against her. I wasn't going to take the class based on what he said. Here's a guy who knew her personally. So I went to my counselor, who was one of the people that was trying to fill this class. And I said, I don't think I'm going to take the class. And he kind of did one of those Tex Avery cartoon, what? And and I said, well, I, I talked to this guy at the one day at a time who's worked with her and I told him everything that he had told me. 
And he said, you know, just because one person didn't get along with her is no reason to judge anybody. In my years of working in television, and he was recently retired from directing in the business, he said, I never judge a person by what somebody else tells me. I judge a person by my own interactions with them and my, my, my own uh, discussions with them. And you might want to consider that. And you know, that turned out to be the best advice anybody ever gave me. And again, I don't know whether he told me that because they didn't have enough people to fill the class mm -hmm. or he was serious, but had I not heeded his advice, I wouldn't be talking to you guys right now because I took the class. She turned out to be warm and wonderful and great. I was working on a documentary for a class that he taught alongside that one. I gave her a rough cut of the tape that I was working on. She flipped over it and all of a sudden I became her star pupil and I stayed in touch with her after the class. And lo and behold, two years later when they had an opening in the company, here goes Stewie as Gary Morton used to call me <laughs> taking the job. And I worked with her until the day she died. So, awesome. you know, such is life in the big city or in this case at Cal State Northridge. <laughs> That's how it happened. That's a long answer to a short question. That's a great now, I, answer. I must enjoy a beverage because my throat is dry, but continue. Sure. sure. Uh, Stu, I got to ask because you did some warm up for um, All in the Family. And, that was a uh, serious drink. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> some warm up for All in the Family. I did not do the warm up for one day at a time. That was a misquote that got spread all over the place. I gave out the tickets for the shows. I oh, did okay. the warm up on Silver Spoons with Ricky Schroeder before he went nuts. And I also did Facts of Life, Different Strokes, and The Jeffersons. I was the backup guy on those other shows, but Silver Spoons was my own show, in addition to other shows afterward. But um, I did do the warm-up on Silver Spoons for two years. Nice. What's that like? What's that like? Well, <laughs> Yeah, the experience. Like, What is warming up the audience Like, for people out there that don't know? Okay, what what you do is when you're when you're given tickets to a, a shooting of a live television show, you show up there and uh, basically I'm I'm like a host. I go out uh, 15 minutes or so before they start rolling the cameras and tell the audience why they're there, why why they're important, why we need to hear from them, why they need to laugh, why they need to support the actors. Uh, I I get them to practice so that they know how to be a professional audience and all of that sort of thing. And then it's my job. Uh, between scenes when their costume changes or, or uh, set uh, changes to uh, answer their questions and to play games with them and to keep them up and peppy so that we, uh, we can complete the taping or filming. And in the days that I did it, we were pretty much to time. If we ran more than an hour or an hour and a half in those days, it was rare. As my career went on, uh, those filming and tapings got longer and longer and longer because everybody micromanaged them from not only the writers and producers, if something didn't get a laugh. And believe me, when I did an audience warm up, that audience laughed so we could get out of there in time. But in the event they didn't, they would rewrite the show. And then the studio, if it happened to be done at Paramount or uh, Universal or one of the other studios, they would have a say and they would ask for rewrites. And then the network whichever it aired on ABC, CBS, or NBC at the time, they would have a say. So sometimes we'd end up shooting things three, four, five, six times. 
And by the sixth time, even I was sick of it. But I would always tell the audience, you want a Milky Way bar when we get halfway through? Laugh. If you don't understand the joke, laugh. Laugh, figure it out on the way home. Even <laughs> though you've heard it, laugh again because you know where it falls. Let's get on with this. A producer's never heard me saying this to the audiences. But once they knew that I was on their side, it, it really wasn't that difficult a job. I just stood in front of them and let them make fun of my high voice or my big nose or whatever. Let them, you know, I was still in control but everybody had a good time as a result. And that's that's what a warm-up guy does. He's a host and a babysitter, I guess you'd call it. But, you know, those days are long gone. It's no fun going to shows anymore because they take eight or ten hours to shoot. Friends took, they took so long they had two audiences, one for the first act and one for the second act, which oh, is I didn't have no idea. That's ridiculous. Wild. For a 20-minute show, it took eight hours to shoot because of the micromanaging and the rewriting. It's no fun anymore. Deal or no deal or no deal did that too. I went to a taping a while back and it was eight hours. They made you sit there. The lady opened up the ten thousand dollar case. They closed it up and made her do a fake. It was the worst. That's what they're doing on prices right now. If yeah. they, and they all had like, fake actors, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If they don't like the way somebody comes on down at the end of the show, regardless of whether they've won or lost, they make them come down, come on down again for the beginning <laughs> of the show. This, this is why TV sucks now. It's totally unspontaneous. That's why reality shows are scripted. Now, now I'm the old man on the park bench. You asked for it, guys. I'm sitting on a park bench in Santa Monica, bitching and whining about the good old days. You see? But it's true. Yeah. It's it's really bad in reality shows when you can see one of the directors like in the scene with them, like pointing to something. Yeah. It's so bad. Like in the Jersey Shore, you'd see it all the time. People pointing and giving direction, which I only saw that show a handful of times because I'm not a fan of reality television either. Reality, it's not reality. It's yeah, scripted. just more scripted. Yeah, absolutely. I could talk to you guys all day. There's a really bad storm in Columbus, Ohio, right now, so I don't want to lose you guys. So, where can everybody find you guys online? CJ, uh, I'm 40 FPS, uh, as in frames per second, and if you Google that, it'll come up. Uh, and Stu is uh, stewshow.com. Show.com, S-T-U-S-S-H-O-W.com. I also have a Roku TV channel that you can see the shows on, and I have about 30 or 35 archived television shows that I have with people like Barry Livingston and Stan, and and uh, we have a lot, we've had a lot of Lucy guests on over the years. We've had pretty much everybody you can think of in classic television, with a few exceptions on. I've done over 615 shows right now. Wow. Um, CJ, I took a peek at your IMDb and you've got some fascinating things coming down the pipe. So I really hope we get to talk again sometime. Yeah, and definitely. Stu, yeah, Mad Mac. I'm all about Jim McMahon. Yeah. <laughs> Bears football. Let's do it. Yeah. He's, <laughs> an, he's an amazing guy for sure. Uh, yeah. We got three more movies coming out before the end of the year. Uh, but uh, we're very excited about Stu. And uh, definitely, uh, anytime you guys want me back, uh, uh, let, let me know. I will absolutely. And Stu, I want to just wax television with you for like an hour or so i will Anytime. hit you up on uh social medias as well i uh, think yeah, you guys you can hit me up there um and anytime you want me back you got me just give me some notice okay absolutely Great. that's awesome uh where can everybody find the movie which is out now uh i think it's everywhere but netflix at the moment uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, perfect bid is on netflix perfect bids on netflix but they already bought that for cheap a long time ago yeah. they uh 
they, they spend all their money on their original programming and making all these they crazy things that people seasons. watch in a day and then cancel it. Yeah, so don't, don't even get me started there. Of course, if Netflix ends up taking the Stooges to a show documentary, they're my best friends in the whole wide world. <laughs> it does. It'll be six months or so, and, and they take it. That, that's just how that's it works. I may be dead yeah. by then. Uh, oh, Perfect Bid wow. is doing well on Netflix, from what I can tell. So you guys have a good shot. So I, yeah, I can't wait. I we have an amazing well. shot at iTunes right now. I'm blown away. We've been <laughs> on there eight hours, and we're last we looked, we were number fifteen. My God, CJ, what did you do? And Top ten it to me. It's crazy. It's very cool. Uh, like you said, it's not being modest. We really didn't know how people would react to this because there's a lot of uh, there's just the movies put together a little bit backwards than people are used to, and just obviously the whole package of everything we're bringing well, is and, just. And it's the it's those 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 important demographics that yeah. Hollywood cares about that eighteen to forty nine, and this is right. classic TV and a sixty five year old subject matter. So you know, right. studios think that there's no audience for this, but that's because there's no product being created for this audience, and when there is a product created for it, people eat it in mass. So it's. Uh, from it's your cool lips. That it's, yeah, From your it's lips, cool. <laughs> Yeah, that's why Thanks they're doing so many, um, so many reboots because they can attach it to the old series as well and then get people to watch all of the above. But um, if you guys are not convinced to watch this movie, Stu Show, I don't know what to tell you because these guys are awesome. And this was one of the most fun 40 minutes I've ever had podcasting. It went by fast. <laughs> like great. I looked down at the clock and I, I just shocked looked, that yeah. it hadn't been 10 minutes. So yeah. uh Thank you guys so much. I'll be in Thank touch. Follow pleasure. us at Three Geeks Podcast. Follow me at Three Geeks J. Hit that like, subscribe, and we'll see you guys next time.